1: Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. This is one of my favorite shows because I have the privilege of having Mary Joyce with me, but before I talk to to her and talk about her, I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for the amazing intro. Please look for him on the Internet. He's a native storyteller, and he will amaze you with the wisdom and the beauty of the way they preserve their cosmology and their history, and they taught their children about the magic that was that was a part of their history. Um, it's a way of relating facts to people that uh, implant seeds in their minds and stay with them forever, and I think it's something we should all pay attention to and utilize within our lives. Now back to Mary, to Mary Joyce. She is the editor of one of the most amazing websites out there. I encourage all of you to seek it out, look at it, wait till the show's over. It's it's called SkyshipsOverCashiers.com, and Mary is the editor, and she publishes all sorts of amazing uh, news stories that that uh, don't make the local newspapers, but certainly are of great relevance to our lives. And uh, the the website is set up so that it's a it's an easy read. It's a fascinating read. It will it will definitely titillate you for sure, and and, uh, she has about, oh, over 10 years of archives that are on there so that you can search a topic throughout the last decade or so and see all of the things she has gathered on different topics, and she is the Consumist Reporter. She doesn't put stuff up unless she's confirmed it, which makes the material even more exciting, and tonight we're going to be covering... um, the, some of the latest articles that she has she has brought forth about Dr. Werner von Braun and some of his conversations with um, one of the astronauts, uh, Clark McClellan, and some of the things that they talked about, which are now um, making it into the general, in, into the public eye, so to speak. And um, I can't wait for her to talk about this stuff because it is phenomenal. So, um, without further ado, welcome to the
2: show, Mary. Hi, I'm glad to hear you. <laughs>
1: glad to hear you too.
2: Anyhow, I hope you're having a great evening.
1: I am. I'm having a fabulous evening, and this is the greatest way for me to um, kind of put the whipped cream on the top with the cherry because the material that you put up on your on your website is is so amazing, and um it's you know for the longest time, I would always buy the garbage newspapers when I went through the grocery line, and then I realized I didn't know half the people or three quarters well most of the people today that that were written about, but <clears throat> it was garbage news, you just knew it was garbage news and and that there was very little truth to it but but with your website um because of your background, you're meticulous about making sure that that your material is researched and and to the best of your ability validated. And I I so respect the work that you do when you you do post the things that you do post.
2: Well, what you and I talked about um, uh, before the show was to talk about uh, Von Braun's uh, private revelations about Mars and ETs. Uh And as far as I know, that hasn't been put out there uh, until just really, really recently. I think your audience might be interested in how I even came to do this story, and I think in the process it adds credibility to the story. And it started on May 17th, and I had one of these big urges to go and look up Clark McClellan, uh, who I met back in 1989. Uh have never been in touch with him since then, but spent a couple hours with him back, you know, decades ago now. And <laughs> so I went to look him up. Well, I found out, first of all, that he died in April of this year, on the 22nd. And I also found out that uh, he had been providing his papers, his private papers, um, to somebody else to publish as a book after his death, because the government had blocked all of his efforts to publish anything when he was still alive. It just wasn 't going to happen so I actually made I actually started looking him up on the day that the book was released, which oh, I wow. find kind of kind of interesting right off the bat and um Clark McClellan uh, is really the one that connects me to this story. And when I lived on Cocoa Beach between Patrick Air Force Base and the Kennedy Space Center, I met him and other uh, mostly engineers who worked at NASA. He was an aerospace engineer for 35 years. He was trained as an astronaut and specially trained as a spacecraft operator. And that, his job was to test, operate, and solve any vehicle problems from the from ground control. So he was very, very knowledgeable. While he was working um, on the, um, uh, uh, let's see which one it was, it was the Saturn uh, One mission. That's when he became friends with uh, Werner von Braun. Uh, not only were they working on the same project, they were both engineers, aer- aeronautic, I'm not talking well tonight, aeronautic uh, uh, engineers, but... Um, they also had an extreme interest uh, in astronomy, in life on other planets, and this friendship developed. Well, what would happen is that uh, Von Braun would come in from Houston, um, you know, when this project was going on. He would especially take time with Clark when they would have award ceremonies, and they would have these at the different hotels on Cocoa Beach. And uh, Von Braun, who was a smoker, Uh, would take smoke breaks, and he would call Clark out to join him, and the two of them would sit on lounge chairs either by the pool or overlooking the ocean, and that's when these natural, uh, very human conversations develop. And so knowing that setting, um, I think, gives some credibility to the information. I couldn't rely on my own memory of many things because, Uh, It was a long time ago, so I got a hold of this book, and then I was able to quote things uh, and not rely on my bad memory. So um, what he said was really quite fascinating. He was um, back in the 60s. He believed that there had been advanced life on Mars. He believed that that, uh, debris, the field between uh, Mars and Jupiter you know, with a planet that exploded, and in the process it destroyed the atmosphere uh, on Mars. Um, He felt at that time there was a very um, technologically advanced uh, civilization on Mars and that they were capable of space travel and that when their atmosphere uh, was being destroyed, um, he felt like they, he believed very strongly that they had the capacity to, Uh, you know, flee the place. The closest place to flee was Earth. And he made a statement um, which kind of stood out in my mind, and he told Clark that he felt that uh, uh, at least some of the people in our culture today may be Martians, which I thought was an interesting statement. Um, He talked about that he felt there were still life forms that were, I don't mean low life forms, I mean intelligent life forms, that were still Uh living on Mars, probably beneath the surface. So those are some of the things that he uh, shared with um, Clark when they were out on the beach.
1: Wow. That, that might even um, explain the RH negative factor, too. Uh,
2: there, uh, people have tied that to, the, uh, to that idea and also to the Atlantans. Um, the Basque people, uh, what is it, in northern France, they have uh-huh. a high percentage of um, the Rh negative, uh, and have a very you know uh, nice look about them, you know, with the light eyes and the, the fair skin. Um, and many people have speculated that they were remnants of the civilization of Atlantis that you know went under. And their language is totally different; it doesn't relate to any other kind of language. Um, and there's a number of reasons that they think there might be that you know distant past. Uh, DNA connection. It might have been Atlantis, it might have been uh, the Martians, who knows, but uh, it's an interesting angle to pursue.
1: And, you know, it also could possibly explain, and and this is a big reach, but um, there are, um, throughout throughout history, especially on on the metaphysical thing, um, there are um, mentions of the the shining ones or the light ones and they they have been it's been speculated that they were a, a very advanced race that that came to earth before um before human homo sapiens it had really evolved homo sapiens.
2: right
1: yeah and that that um there's there's talk of them in a number of places, and um, I, I'm I'm hunting as much material as I can up about them because it makes sense to me that that they may well have been a civilization that came to Earth and and um, sort of seeded the planet with humanity.
2: Well, one and of the that, statements that von Braun made was he said that the Earth is a nursery of many cosmic races from the stars. He also said we are being visited by other intelligences uh, from other stars. And um, when Clark asked him some questions, um, he not only admitted that he had seen UFOs in Germany and in the USA, but that um, he had actually met um, uh, somebody of the Aryan race that comes from um, Aldebaran, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's a star, giant star formation. In the, uh, and uh, uh, he said, yes, I have seen real ETs from that particular star system. And he's seen them himself. Wow. He said, and, I, I, and Clark asked him what they look like, and he said they're taller, and many uh-huh. have the blonde hair and blue eyes. I have heard others of us Germans at the Kennedy mm-hmm. Space Center, admit they saw them.
1: Yeah, that's been um, a description that that not only um, has come from from von Braun because that I've read before, but Billy Meyer also describes um, some of the visitors that way as well. So that, uh, but but to actually have met some or seen some, that's you know what? What a come down to have them look so much like us that you can't you know you can't tell
2: the difference.
1: <laughs> you know, you, you kind of think that, you know where's the antennas and stuff like that. Um, uh,
2: apparently, they're not all looking uh, gray and, and reptilian and and, and very strange. Uh, uh, even when I was uh, doing a lecture, actually maybe a good decade ago, out in Las Vegas or actually Laughlin, and it was the International uh, UFO Congress. And there was a, a, a little guy who looked human who was on the elevator with me during that convention. I swear to God, he was an alien. I mean, there was just something about him that was just very, very peculiar, and he kind of, um, I don't know, he kind of glided away. It was a very <laughs> uh, strange, strange feeling. So, well, yes, considering...
1: I but, but considering that they've been here for possibly millions of years, uh, I mean, some of them, um, it, it's kind of like they're they're as much Earthlings as we are in some cases. Um, and uh, the name of that's
2: what it seems to be.
1: The name of McClellan's book is Space: The Final Frontier. Um, and you know, when I was speaking to you earlier, you said it's 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 not an easy read, but it's a fascinating one, I would think.
2: Yeah, and I was telling you how I read it. Um, um, It's got an index in the front, and so I always have a, I destroy all books with yellow highlighters. And Uh so what I did was I would read the chapters that I was the most intensely interested in and then cross them off and, you know, go down the line. So it was sort of like I wanted my dessert first. (laughs)
1: Well, yeah, I would too. I would, I would pick the the elements that you know really kind of, um, uh, you know, a, a appeal to 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 me, and 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 uh, kind of enticed me into this one. I have to read one of the other ones that one of the other articles you've got up that that you know goes into you know or, or comes close to being connected to this book was the fact that the Challenger
2: was sabotaged. Uh, Yes, and again, I knew of some of this when I lived there in Florida, but Uh I'm not going to quote my bad memory. Um, So when his book came out, I was able to do um, not only the article about Von Braun, but I did uh, several with the title, uh, NASA Secrets. And one NASA secret was the space uh, shuttle Challenger was sabotaged, uh, another one was uh, an E.T. was caught twice by NASA cameras, um, you know, on the, on the space shuttle. Um, uh-huh. That there are Nazis in Antarctica and that there are E.T. structures uh, and evidence of mining on the moon. And those were all ones where I was able to, you know, read his book and pull from something concrete. Um, and that's important.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I love the fact that you you, you confirm before you report, and, you know, that's um, that's so important. Um, and, and, you know, it's so sad that he's, you know, passed away, because, of course, I love to read a book and then talk to the author, and so, unless I channel him... Oh, that would have been a good okay. one.
2: <laughs> that would have been a real good one. But it's really quite sad. I won't um, elaborate on it a whole lot, but... Uh, Um, Clark McClellan felt very, very strongly that the public had a right to know more than the government was allowing the public to know. Uh And he basically got in trouble uh, because he didn't totally keep his mouth shut. And even though he'd been there for 35 years and had key positions, um, they they got rid of him. And uh, after 35 years, not only did he lose his job, uh he lost all of his benefits and they kept blackballing him so that he couldn't get other jobs um they interfered so he couldn't publish his information and so in many ways he uh really suffered um in the later years of his life
1: well you know it's it's the uh government supposedly and 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 I say this you know with a smirk on my face releasing, you know, all their information on UFOs, and you just know that they're not. I mean, the reality is a UFO is an unidentified flying object, yes. There are lots of them out there, but, but they could be ours or Russia's or Japan's or China's or, or Korea's or, you know, they they could be Mexican. They could be, I mean, it, it, a UFO doesn't necessarily say there are little green men inside ready to invade the planet. So nice. it's... It, they
2: don't want people to think that they you know they're still fighting the release of information that there is intelligence that is not human that's operating these vehicles. and some exactly. of the most convincing evidence that I've found, for example, uh, there is um a, a, a Soho satellite, there's two of them actually that monitor the sun and take a picture every fifteen minutes, and there's one on each uh-huh. side of the sun. You can actually monitor the feed from that, which I occasionally do. And we have published uh, in the past uh, photos of these humongous uh, ships uh, near the sun, and they're all bigger than the planet Jupiter. Uh, and there's no way that we humans could build something like that. So when you look at those kind of things, you know this this idea of you know scooting around the reality of Uh, e.t. intelligence out there is just ridiculous Um, also let me share with you something that I haven't even posted yet it's going to go on the website oh I don't know maybe by the end of the week Um, but I was doing some investigation uh, with Google Earth Mars it's one of the little detective things I do periodically and I have found some incredible things um, on the planet and the most recent thing is I found 27 entrances into Mars and they're all in a line and they stretch out over 16 miles and they're not small. Uh, The smallest one that um, I was able to measure was uh, 399 feet. Well, say it's 400. 400 feet, that's like four football fields. That's no small entrance. And the biggest one is over 1,000 feet. And... In the past, going back a number of years now, I have discovered entrances into the planet before. But in this case, I quit looking at it with the north at the top. I put the north in the east position, so I was looking at the you know the planet from a different direction. And I found uh-huh. these things all lined up, which I would not have found if I had just scooted around with north in its normal position. Um, but... Twenty-seven of those in a line, spread out over 16 uh, miles. Uh, you know, that's not something regular. And these these are square-cut entrances, like garage entrances. Uh, uh, they're they're huge. Wow. Uh, who, who's doing those? And then I've um, twice I've gotten photos again from Google Earth Mars of uh, UFOs, big ones, that are spaceships that have landed on the surface uh, of the planet. And, you know, one of them I think is like three and a half um, miles in diameter. That is no small little ship. Another one, Uh uh, probably in the same size, I don't have the figures right in front of me right now, but you can see the skid mark. And it was over i think four thousand feet before it actually you know hit the Martian soil in a in a significant way and came to a halt um Don't tell me there's not e t uh life out there that's uh, you know beyond what they're letting us see right now
1: i love it. i mean you're you're a cosmic archaeologist
2: uh I don't know if there is such a thing, but it is just, it's you know you don't always come up with the treasures that you find, but when you do it's kind of kind of thrilling
1: well yeah i mean you've you've put you've put some phenomenal um screenshots up on your website over time that i mean there's no way that it's that it's that that, that these are natural occurrences i mean they're obviously man-made or they're i guess man-made is not a proper term but they're, 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 in, they're, they're not
2: intelligently made. They're, they're made Thank by you. intelligent <laughs> beings. I, I don't know how else to clarify it. And that's not the only thing. Uh, so I've found entrances. I've found UFOs, and I have found two uh, space stations. Uh, they look like biospheres. The first one I found was back in 2011. And so, you know, you can go back into those files and you can find it for yourself. But it was 652 more than 652 miles in length. Again, no small thing. Uh, then five years later in 2016, I found a larger one at the South Pole, and this was over 7,000 feet in length. Again, no small thing. And uh, I tied it together with um, uh, some research that was done by uh, a concept artist, and uh, his name is Brian uh, I'm sure I don't know how to say it, but he does conceptual drawings for space exploration, and he does it for deep space industries and Orbital systems and the Mars Foundation and National Geographic and New Science and Mars Exploration Magazine. So he is very well known. So in one article, again, back in the 2016 archives, um, I show one of the illustrations and then... Uh, the actual biosphere on Mars. Now, the one on Mars is more blurry, but it clearly is not some kind of uh, natural phenomena.
1: Wow! I, you know, I would be so shocked if you didn't send a whole bunch of people to Google Earth for the Moon and Mars, because um, I, I know that 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 you know this is you know first of all our government can't. Can't um, airbrush all of this out, and, and, but they do know.
2: sometimes. There have been times, uh, Barbara, when I have found something, posted it on the website, and within the next day or two days later, it has been blurred out. Uh, new strips have been put in there, and they've done uh, things to you know make it unfindable. And um, that indicates to me that whatever I have shown is a very active place.
1: Well yeah. And and even even the Antarctic, um, I mean, that's something that I, I mean, we had Operation High Jump with Admiral Berg and you know, they they've all they've kind of let it all go. Now there are there are all sorts of um exploration teams in Antarctic in, in the Antarctic but they they have been told not to fly over certain places and things like that which leads one to believe that there's something they're trying to hide there,
2: of course. And- well, one of the, I've used the same, you know, Google detective tool in Antarctica, and that's a really good example of where they have blurred things out almost instantly. I found two very large entrances into Antarctica, and uh, the largest one where you could fly a major jet into with, you know, 50 feet on each side of the wingtips, um, uh-huh. it's like somebody spilled in the ink on it uh, the, the following day that I had it posted. So if anybody starts becoming a, a Google Earth detective and you see something interesting, take a screenshot. And every keyboard, uh, as far as I know, has something that says print screen. And just hit that and put it in your files and save it just in case it's one of those things that um, will, will disappear. And to be helpful to people, uh, almost always, sometimes I can't do it, but almost always I have the coordinates for what I have found. So you can copy it and put it right into the search bar for Google Earth, Mars, or Google Earth, and it will take you right to the spot that I'm talking about. And I do that because we have so many blankety-blank people who get a kick out of Photoshopping stuff that isn't real. And so when you find real things you have to bend over backwards to like prove that it's real. Uh-huh.
1: Well, it 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 is fascinating to me. I I especially with those large ships, those I I guess mothership is the best term I can use, the the, the huge ones around the moon, I've always thought that those large ships and the smaller ones, but but you know you, the bigger ones. More importantly, I do believe that that in some way they they gather energy or fuel from from being that close to the sun. I, I don't think they're there to improve their tans. I think that there's I a totally reason. I totally agree
2: with you. We've got one photo where there is a round UFO, like with an umbilical cord that connects to the sun. It stayed there for I don't know a considerable length of time before it disconnected. And that would certainly support what you're saying,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, I go back to Star Trek, and I'm not sure what they used for fuel, but um <laughs> but i I true there there over the last thirty or forty years there have there have been every now and then you know the pictures of these large objects really close to the sun, obviously not burning up, so that right. there has to be a reason that they're that close. And the only thing I could think of was, you know, it's not a it's not a cruise sh- ship that's you know doing a tourist thing to the planets and stuff like that. Well, maybe it I, is.
2: I, maybe it is.
1: Well, if it is, then then Planet Earth is probably a comedy channel that you know they're they're getting a big kick out of most of the time because of how we're behaving down here.
2: Uh, there's two um, reasons that I think that part of it is. Um, There was a man in the Netherlands who got in touch with me back in 2013 and 2014, and then it's like he just disappeared. But he would take these um, original NASA satellite photos that had captured these large objects around the sun, and then he had the ability to use his computer skills to get rid of the debris and the interference and enlarge these images. Incredible detail. And if people want to take a look at some of his stuff, uh, go to our Global Links section. In fact, most of what we're talking about is in Global Links. <clears throat> and, and open up the 2013 archives, scroll way down to the, to the bottom, and then start scrolling back up because uh-huh. the way the, the uh, sections work, you know, you build on top of what you've already put in there. So the beginning uh-huh. of 2013 is at the bottom.
1: Gotcha. Well, you know, when you stop and think about it... Um... Solar panels gather energy to create electricity. So being that close to the sun and yet not there, solar flares probably put out high-intensity energy. Obviously they do. I mean, those sun sun flares can disturb our atmosphere and and everything. So being that close to it, it's a a powerful energy. And if there's a way of... of, um, Drawing it in and utilizing it for fuel—holy mackerel! That, that's that's amazing.
2: But I uh, uh, wonder how they do it. But uh, yeah, it's it, you're right.
1: Well, I and, and almost. You, go ahead. Almost, almost every every uh, you know, there there are suns all over the place. So that hopping around the the galaxy, w- there would be no limit to fuel. So that it wouldn't be something you had to store, it could be something that you, you know, could could regenerate whenever you had to, which would be so um,
2: cool. You know, going back to the idea of uh, cruise ships going through the universe, uh, uh-huh. there is a uh-huh. man who you may be familiar with. His name is Charles Hall, and when he was in the military, <clears throat> he was uh, a weatherman and a weatherman that went out and set up the balloons and. You know, made sure everything was all right. He was uh, near Area 51. And nobody wanted the job that he had, not because the weather job was bad, but these people that would get sent out there, they would freak out. And he was the only one that didn't totally freak out and run away. And there were what he called the tall, white ETs that um, uh, had uh, had a base there. That the government knew about the government allowed, and he talked about these ships would come in and stay for x amount of time and then take off and he made it sound like it was a bus you know that just pulled into earth you know and brought tourists <laughs> and he he was very brave, as I said because the other officers ran away um, and he just overcame his fear it wasn't that he wasn't fearful and What eventually happened was uh, some of the tall white ETs, especially the women, would like to get dressed up and try to pass as humans, and they would go into Las Vegas, which, you know, is a goofy town to start with, so if people see strange people, they're not going to get all bent out of shape like they might have landed in the middle of St. Louis. And uh, uh, it was like a challenge for them to kind of, I don't know. Pass the sniff test, I guess.
1: Blend in, yeah. I so, remember this story. This this was a great story. I remember this. I can't remember where it was, you know, time wise on your on your website, but I do remember it, and it was fascinating. Long time ago, because
2: I can't remember all the details.
1: Yeah, I I remember that they uh, they didn't want him getting near the kids that they, they, they took the kids out to play, but they were very protective of them.
2: Right. They and, had these um, wands. I'll call it a magic wand, and if uh, they felt like they were being threatened, uh, they could zap you with it. And they actually yeah. were afraid of humans because we have a whole lot more body strength than they have because they are kind of frail-looking, tall-white ETs. Um, yeah. So are, are we, I guess it would. To them, we must have been like confronting a gorilla in the forest or in the jungle. Uh And, uh, yeah, they were very careful that their children weren't messed with. But they also brought the children to observe him.
1: Oh, yeah, like a
2: zoo? Yeah, well, I don't know if it was quite like that, but it was a a form of entertainment that they could bring the kids out and, and watch him do his work or whatever he did.
1: And the women loved the catalogs.
2: Yes, yes. Very good. Good memory. I'm not sure I would have brought that up on my own.
1: <clears throat> well, I happen to be a catalog freak too, so you know it was like, of course they like the catalogs, but um, but and, but the army did supply them with catalogs for clothing and stuff, so that mm-hmm. so that um, yeah,
2: there was a cooperative you know, arrangement with the with the tall whites now what they what the uh part of the military was doing that he would not have known about i had no idea but uh, you know they would bring their uh park their ships um let's say in a garage in a mountain and then the side of the mountain would close up and it looked like nothing was there
1: huh. i, 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 so, yeah, and, I think know, there's I, cru-
2: I think there's cruise ships going around the universe and every once in a while they make stops here at earth
1: well, I wish they'd tell us about things like the Nazca Lines and stuff like that, because that, that still remains, you know, an amazing mystery to me. Um, it's it's not galactic graffiti, I'm sure, but um, there's something else there, and I don't know what it is. I know there's metal under what, what one would consider the runways and stuff, but... Um, they 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 sliced the top of a mountain off to create that space. Yeah, that was
2: quite impressive. It really is.
1: Yeah, not not an easy feat. You know it it, it and and there's no piles of rubble, so that they not only sliced it off, but they dis- disposed of the material.
2: Right, and so how do they do that? I don't know. <laughs> You just, whoops, excuse me, I just dropped my phone. Um, Um, Well, that's okay. (laughs) Another thing I wanted to tell you um, that we had posted again uh, based on information from Clark's book uh, was he was friends with um, uh, David Scott, who was uh, one of the crew members of the Apollo 15. And Uh they were buddies. And so he talked to uh, Clark, and he told him that, They had seen whitish metallic objects flying overhead when they were, you know, headed toward the moon. And he described them as, quote, they were very fast critters. And that sounds like a legitimate uh, quote, to, you know, say the least. Um, Oh, yeah. He also saw structures off in the distance, um, and he said they were like glass or crystalline. Um,
0: Uh
2: He talked about finding tracks for some kind of a vehicle. And nobody, uh, neither from our country or Russia or Japan or anybody else who might have advanced technology, uh, had been up there with a vehicle of any kind. And yet there were these tracks. And when they followed the tracks, there was there were signs that there was a mining operation going on. So I thought, that, oh, and another thing, this shows you how they keep clamping down on these people that have so much information. Um, uh-huh uh David Scott had taken uh fifteen photos uh, when he was went seeing all this and they took them away from him and he won he you know he took them. He really wanted to see them again or, you know, have them again. And so they yeah. let him see one, just one of those fifteen photos and it had already been um the structures had already been erased.
1: Photoshopped, yeah.
2: Mhm. Yeah.
1: I it does it does make you wonder. I mean because because of the internet, because of the way information gets out there today, um keeping this stuff under wraps is stupid because it is out there. Um the other one of the things I'd love to see is the contract with the aliens that Eisenhower signed.
2: Yeah, that would be interesting to read, wouldn't it?
1: Well, and it, it, it makes, and, and, you know, when I, when I heard about that, I thought, how stupid is that? It's like, it's, like, it's like we make contracts with the Indians, which we had no intention of keeping. Why would an alien race make a contract with a primitive world like this and, and, and expect that, you know, we would respect it? i mean it's it's ridiculous if they if they wanted to test people they you know they could just go ahead and test it. We couldn't stop them
2: That's so, correct.
1: so it and apparently
2: what what I understand is the e t now we're talking grays now they didn't yeah. live up to their end of the bargain, and I guess there as i understand it uh there was an agreement that the e t s could abduct you know like a small number of people. Uh-huh. Um, in exchange for technological information well they they didn't stay within the limits. I mean the abduction stories are you know quite phenomenal um and what is interesting that I, I talked to one gal um myself a bunch of years ago and we did we did do a story on her, and she was abducted uh the traditional story that you hear, but she saw uh US military soldiers there also. So what's going on?
1: Well it and if that's the case and you know, if if there were soldiers there, there are soldiers or, or you know, at Area Fifty One. Uh, my friend uh my good friend Jeannie, who was the co host for me originally way back, her father was one of the guards at Area Fifty one. And um he never said anything to any of his family. He would just That's smile typical. and wink. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, it's its a terrible, cold thing to say, but you know, on his deathbed, you know, couldn't he have whispered, you know, yes, there were aliens there
2: or something, right. you know. Some, some of the people do. Some of the people do. When they finally get to the point where they realize, uh, you know, they're on the way out, uh, some of them have come clean.
1: I just, but think of the know, burden
2: you, that these these people have carried with them for usually decades,
1: right? And and what what I mean, if there were no conspiracy theorists out there, or if there was no other information out there keeping a secret a secret, you know, okay, I got that. But because the information is so much a part of our everyday life, that there, I mean. All they have is their own personal experience. They don't have anything that they can prove their stories to. So so why, why hold them to that kind of a, a secretive thing? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, the Rendlesham Forest guy who got the download of the um, binary code that talked of a, a future generation of us, I think by 800 years or so, um, Why has that been kept under wraps? Why, why? I I mean, originally they did a study, and their their conclusion was that the public couldn't take knowledge of the fact that there were actually aliens here. I
2: I used to feel very very strongly that it was, you know, that the public could handle it. But what I've Uh seen in the last four, five, six years, uh, when I see all these people with the QAnon theories when I see these people and all these conspiracies that they come up with, when I see people scared to death to do this or that, and I see the level of fear in so many people, and I see the level of, I don't know, I I, I want to say lack of education. I mean basic education, basic curiosity. There's a lot more of that in our world than I ever thought there was. And so maybe we would have a mess on our hands if if this got revealed too quickly. Maybe there's some truth to that. But they're hiding way too much. And this, I don't know what to say.
1: Well, I mean, okay, so so we have aliens pouring in over our borders. And, you know, we already have aliens. (laughs) So... um, I, the fact that, that that our government has has hid from us the fact that they are, if indeed they are, in contact with alien races from from other planetary systems um but 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 when you when you look at where the information is, even the current government doesn't know about it, and so that makes one wonder who is actually in charge.
2: Right, and there's certainly are those within our known government who know what we're ta- you and I are now talking about. They absolutely know. But I don't doubt for a minute that there is a level of um, control and power that goes way beyond that. Um, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to dig up the information that I want, but there is a secret space um, program. Um, yes there is well I mean that they somebody has been acknowledging and I'm going I need to find out more about that
1: well Corey Good was part of
2: it I just can't uh, say that again
1: Corey Good was part of it he was on the 20 and back Um, Um, Laura Eisenhower was supposedly they tried to draft her into it and she said no have you ever That's... watched the Above Majestic um YouTube um mm, I don't think so. Check out Above Majestic. I, I think you have to pay four or five dollars or something like that to actually see it. <clears throat> it's two hours of of amazing material and um it's it's the kind you can check. Mm. Okay. But, but I think I think we have to get you an interview with Corey Good, because, um, have, or or have you interviewed him already?
2: No, I have not. I have not. Um, mainly because it's really hard to um, to make that believable for people.
1: I know, but but today
2: it's, it's, you know, it's very very difficult. But. Um, and probably it, that would be a big reason I haven't tackled that one.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, you know, you you have no way of proving it, and and if you did have a way of proving it, you'd probably disappear. So,
2: yeah, I'm um, not ready for that.
1: No. <laughs> but but you know look at all of the things that you're getting little tidbits on you're getting little tidbits on the the antarctic stuff you're getting tidbits on the 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 lunar stuff and and mars stuff and you know 10 years ago this wouldn't wouldn't have been even something that you would be able to put out there for fear you know people would say oh that's just garbage but not today now now people eat this up and and want to find more material on it so
2: Right. So and the that's
1: encouraging. The general public is far more educated um if if aliens came to well if interterrestrial aliens came to my door now you have to be specific about what kind of alien you're talking about. Um came to my door, nah, I'd ask him in and offer him a drink. Um or her or whatever. I I just think that I think we are so much more mature as far as the probability of what's out there, I mean, when when the book um, when Stryber's book came out, was that Contact? What was the name of that book? That, that
2: it's um, the one with the uh, alien face or the uh, gray face on it. Um, yeah, I, I found it very unsettling. I I, I do remember that.
1: Well, you know, and I have—I hate to say this—and—and and, you know, I probably will never get Whitley Streiber on the show because of it. I think he is an amazingly great science fiction author, yeah.
2: but I don't
1: buy—I don't buy the book at all.
2: Uh, I all do. I know is it was unsettling, and it didn't feel right to me. And I even went and bought another one of his books, and I was left with that same unsettled feeling. Um, so no, I've, I've never done yeah, a, no, never it, done a story on his books.
1: It didn't. It didn't ring true to me.
2: That's it how was I feel. Like,
1: it was like you know he's a great science fiction author, but and I feel the same way about um, Zachariah Sitchkin. He's dead, so no chance he'd be on the show anyhow. Um, Patrick, um, my late husband, uh, hated people comparing him with Sitchkin because. Patrick's work was all validated by what was in the Bible and, and and Sitchkin was sort of misquoting the Bible to his own purposes in many places, but there are people that quote his his books chapter and verse, the same as there mm-hmm. are biblical people who quote chapter and verse. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, our capacity to investigate and embrace is great. Our discernment Leaves a lot to be desired.
2: <laughs> that well that's that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. And you just have to go with I don't know. All we really have is what I call that gut feeling. And yeah. if it feels unsettled, uh then leave it alone. Don't don't mess with it. And there's well, any number look... of topics where where I feel that way. And then there's times when I'm just driven to do something, like I gotta do this. And mm-hmm. uh, like that, that's what happened when I um, looked up uh, Clark McClellan after decades, and it was on the day his book was published. I'm going, oh, okay, that's why I was nudged.
1: How synchronistic is that? Yeah, I, I right, book...
2: and and I I had such <coughs> compassion for him when I met him because he was still working for NASA. Uh, I think he I think his final year was I think it was 91. I met him in 89 but they were already, you know, making moves on him and um uh, I saw I saw fear, I saw anger, I saw frustration. Um I had such compassion for him and when this uh, book of his came out, um I decided I would do my part to um and share at least some of his information.
1: Well, I I think he did a great job. I I know that it, it's interesting because um I saw a UFO that landed on my campus was when, I, when I was in college. And the the abuse you take when you admit that you've seen something like that. And, you know, I had no pictures. I have no way to prove it. I saw
2: It would have UFO. been terrible then. I don't think it would be terrible now.
1: Oh, no. Now it's not. Now it would be hell. You know, that's really cool. And, you know, what are you having for lunch? Um, but... But over the years, now that was in the in the um, in the sixties, and the 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 mental abuse you get, and people were saying, you know, don't talk about that because people will think you're crazy, and mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, but I know what I saw. I'm not nuts. I know well, what I saw. Well, they
2: deliberately tried to make people feel like they were crazy.
1: Oh yeah! I mean that was there, a that
2: was a technique.
1: No doubt about it. And when when I you know interviewed for jobs and stuff like that, and they saw where I went to school, it was like, "Did you see the UFO?" I said, "Yeah, I was there when that landed." And mm-hmm. I I wouldn't go further um, because mm-hmm. you know, you're crazy if you believe in that stuff. And and mm-hmm. J. Allen Hynek was out there declaring everything was swamp gas. Well, and he changed what it I too, saw eventually too, didn't he? Oh, he did, but it was many years later. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
1: you know, he was doing what the government wanted him to do, which was cover up something that they couldn't explain. So, you know, it's... it's. But then when they did that study and they decided that, what was it, that, that the UFOs did not pose any threat and that they weren't going to talk about them because the public couldn't handle it. But that that has been the procedure for the... For 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 decades about all of this stuff. Look at look at the the battle for Los Angeles with those UFOs that we fired on, and and our shells just bounced out off their their shields. I mean, we interview Patrick and I interviewed a, a man um, who lived there observed it and he went out on the beaches the next day and picked up the debris and the government paid him for every piece of debris he he brought to them well wow. so i mean these things have been happening and and they're just they're pretending they don't happen they're pretending that you know that that we're living in a in a bubble and um so, so Someday this bubble's going to burst, and a ton of information is going to be released. I think what the government has released is is just sure and utter garbage.
2: It's just it's baby stuff. That's it's just baby stuff. So yeah, I, I mean, let me throw out it, another idea just to get everybody's minds working. Um, okay, I've done an article, read the book uh, by William Tompkins. I won't get into it a whole lot, but he he was a confidential advisor to von Braun and uh, Dubus who was the second-in-command with the rocketry. Okay, so that's the essence of him. Uh And he, uh, again, in his older years, uh, said that there were uh, Pleiadian ETs working at NASA and that they uh, were very attractive um, women that uh, supposedly were hired as secretaries. But they were the ones that were giving them information, and every time they did, it worked. And it was because of them that the space program, after uh, you know Kennedy essentially launched it, that was the reason it uh, grew so rapidly. So I was thinking about that, and then I saw an old rerun of uh, Genie, uh, the old TV show. Yeah. Do you remember that? I Dream of Genie. That's, that's the name of it and she yeah. was like this magical person working with the people at the Space Center or in the Air Force at oh. that time period, and I'm going, could that have inspired that show? Could somebody have had oh, wow. enough inside information that they could have inspired that show to come in, into existence? Well, How's that for, um, uh, I don't know, fiction if nothing else?
1: I I think that, you know, you've you got a point, and... I know they showed a picture of um, one of those uh, of Maria Orsac, Orsash. I, I can't pronounce her name. Right, thing. back
2: in the Hitler days. hmm
1: Back in the Hitler days, that she was supplying the, the Nazis with information, and somebody showed Billy Meyer a picture of her, and he and his reaction immediately was, "That's Semyasi, that's that's the alien that I worked with for so many years."
2: And so, very attractive, right?
1: Oh, very attractive, yes, long blonde mm-hmm. hair, very nordic looking
2: mm-hmm. beautiful
1: woman um yep. not that we don't have beautiful people on this planet, you well, know how do we
2: find down here though you know we seem to have really messed up our DNA.
1: yeah, that's, that's very true <laughs> but but uh, you know i hate to think that anybody who's actually you know qualifies as quote unquote beautiful now. Could possibly be an alien with with pure a purer form of DNA than we have today, but um, yeah, no, I I think that that you know I and and it ha- it's going to have to be it can't be the government releasing information because I don't think the government has the information. I believe that, that you know there's got to be a, a a deep state of some sort that has the information that we're looking for. Um, because because you know it would seem to me that I know Kennedy was going to release information and he was uh he died um, so was that part of the reason he was he was gotten rid of I don't know but it not so many... many
2: people many people have said that they think that's the reason he was killed cuz he was going to you know make this public
1: well and if I can't remember where I, I read it or saw it or whatever, but I do believe that um, Donald Trump was briefed on the whole um, secret space program, and that's why he formed the space program, so that it would be there and open so it could merge into the program that's already out there and, and fully functional.
2: Yeah, I think the program um, was there long before Donald Trump, and I doubt very oh. much that they shared very much information with him.
1: No, I I don't think he was given details, but I think he was made aware that there was already a program out there and so he created um one in reality so that so that at some point in time they could merge together, I think. Um I I I read someplace that that he had been briefed to a degree and um I think above Majestic was probably where I where I heard that that the the presidents now were being briefed starting with Trump but I don't know I I don't know if Biden has been briefed and you know don't get me started there but um
2: from what I understand I I think the uh older George Bush uh, knew a lot I mean oh, yeah. he was the one. he was the one that uh, uh told Jimmy Carter he, he he didn't he didn't have enough um I don't know he didn't he didn't have a right to know. Now that's pretty gutsy.
1: yeah, it's um it's it's very much like that the um Independence Day where the president is told, Well, you didn't need to know and mm-hmm. and um and one of the other characters said, Do you really believe there's a five hundred dollar
2: toilet seat? you know. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. So anyhow, let me do a plug again for uh, Clark's book. It's called Space, the Final Frontier. That's the big title. And the uh, secondary title is Secrets, NASA Doesn't Want You to Know. Space, the Final Frontier, Secrets, NASA Doesn't Want You to Know. And I think anybody who's deeply interested in these kind of subjects would find it interesting. Uh, For people who just like casual, easy reading, I don't think it's for them. Uh, not that it's uh-huh. that hard to read, but it's, it gets into a lot of stuff that uh, people may or may not want to know. But there's a lot of good information in, in there for the sincerely curious people.
1: Okay, and your website is skyshipsovercashiers.com. Everybody should now everybody should go look at it. Um, I just we're down to the final seconds uh, again, Mary. Thanks. So much for sharing all your information with us. It's just always such a pleasure to have you here.
2: Thank you, and I enjoy talking to you. Sorry, I trip over my tongue sometimes.
1: Well, welcome to my world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, not we're not aliens.
1: <laughs> we're very <laughs> human. <laughs> but but I look forward to you coming back again next month and and um, inspiring us and and titling us so that we start looking outside of our reality and inside of ourselves. So thanks wow. again, and uh, we will talk to you next month. You take care. You too. Bye-bye now. And good night, everybody. Check us out on YouTube, and uh, let us know you're there by subscribing to our channel and keeping us uh, on our toes and making sure that we are sharing with you um, the best information that we can find out there to keep you curious and informed and entertained and um, challenge you to look a little bit deeper into a lot of things good night now